This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. This week, the team producers, writers, and hosts of the Oncogene Brief were in Chicago for the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, in short, ASCO. This annual meeting is one of the largest oncology-focused meetings in the world, with close to 40,000 attendees. Just like earlier years, this meeting offers a wealth of scientific and medical education, with cutting-edge advances and new approaches in the treatment of patients. Some interesting highlights, which we will cover in the coming weeks, include results from a federally funded study suggesting that, based on the results of a gene expression assay called Oncotype DX, chemotherapy did not improve the results of treatment for women with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative actually note negative early stage breast cancer. Commenting on this outcome, one of the ASCO experts, Dr. Harold Bernstein, noted that the data provided critical reassurance to doctors and patients that they can use genomic information to make better treatment decisions in women with early-stage breast cancer. Now, practically speaking, this means that thousands of women will be able to avoid chemotherapy with all the side effects while still achieving excellent long-term outcomes. Another study found that matching treatment to genetic changes in the tumor improved survival across multiple cancer types. Another confirmed that a particular type of blood test shows a potential as a detection tool for early-stage lung cancer. I'm Peter Hofland here at Sonia Portillo, and this is the Youngest in Brief. In this program, we're talking a lot about disparities. Interestingly, in a study looking at men with prostate cancer, the response to a specific hormone treatment was greater and longer-lasting in black men than in white men. The results of this study correspond with an analysis of pooled data from nine randomized phase three trials of more than 8,000 men with advanced prostate cancer who received chemotherapy. The study showed that chances of survival are as good for black men as white men. Robert Dreiser, one of the ASCO experts, noted that this study adds to the growing body of evidence showing the black men with advanced prostate cancer who participate in clinical trials have the same, if not better, chances of survival as white men. But he stressed a very important topic. This research shows that by providing equal access to treatment, we can reduce racial disparities in outcomes for men with advanced prostate cancer. You can read more about the results of these and other studies in the online edition of Oncazine at oncazine.com. You can read a summary in our weekly newsletter. To receive the newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. A subject discussed in great detail at the 2018 annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology is immuno-oncology. Cancer immunotherapy seeks to harness the power of the immune system to eradicate malignant tissues. After decades of research, a number of cancer immunotherapies have shown great clinical results. Recently, monoclonal antibodies that block key checkpoints on T-cells have improved survival in metastatic melanoma and induced anti-tumor effects in other cancers. By specific antibodies have mediated impressive responses in B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia and dramatic anti-tumor effects that have been observed using adoptive T-cell immunotherapy, increasingly using genetic engineering to create tumor antigen-specific T-cells. In this edition of the Oncosine Brief, Sonia Portillo interviews Neil Canavan about people involved in the developing these new advances, sometimes highly personalized treatments. Neil is a veteran journalist with more than 20 years of experience reporting on science and medicine. For the last five years, he has reported exclusively on issues related to drug development in cancer. 
In his book, A Cure Within, published by Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory Press, Neil Canavan writes about the power of the immune system and his reasons and motivations to write the book. Let's listen to the interview. Neil Canavan, thanks for joining us at the 2018 ASCO meeting. Now, in the past decades, cancer treatments have become more focused on what's called precision medicine and targeted therapies. And you're a veteran journalist. You've had over 20 years of experience in science and medicine reporting, and you've really put a focus on cancer. So tell us about these new approaches that I just mentioned, precision medicine, targeted therapies, and how they're going to help cancer patients in the future. Well, uh, Sonia, first, thank thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, I have been doing this quite a while, and for a long time it was sort of depressing uh, because we were giving a lot of chemicals to people, and they're poison. I mean, they are literally poison. Uh, Then, I can't tell you how long ago now it was, a drug came along called Herceptin. Herceptin is for breast cancer, and it was developed in an entirely different way than the poisons. With the poisons, they just give you a poison and they will see what happens. With Herceptin, they looked at the nature of the disease itself and on a molecular basis discovered a target called HER2, which is present in great numbers on uh, cancer cells in breast cancer. The drug was then developed to fit that target, not the other way around. And the drug itself is not a, a chemical. It is actually a protein. It's an antibody, a monoclonal antibody. And the results seen with the use of that drug in breast cancer changed the entire field. Uh, And everyone started to look at, okay, now we need to look at cancer uh, cancer cells on a molecular basis and try to figure out exactly what is there and can we tailor a drug to hit that target. Um, Then another drug came along called Avastin, which hits a a drug uh, target called VEGF. Uh, And again, this was based the development was based on the science of what is going wrong with this tumor and how do we knock that down and VEGF the target was discovered and the Vastin was designed around that we're now moving into something that's even more exquisitely targeted uh, with something called next generation sequencing um you know, just a few years ago, uh, sequencing one's genome was extraordinarily expensive. Now it's actually pretty cheap. I think you can do it for a couple grand. Um, and this looks at the genetic level of what's going on in your tumor. And again, this suggests uh, the development of, of a whole suite of drugs. Um, today, I mean, if you go into uh, your oncologist with your new diagnosis, uh, you are going to receive molecular testing standard. And if not now, then very soon, you will be undergoing next-generation sequencing as a standard. And the drugs will d- are being developed on, on that basis. Okay. Now, in your book that we're going to talk about a little bit later, you talk about immuno-oncology and immunotherapy. So immuno-oncology is among the most promising approaches in the treatment of cancer right now. So what would you consider important for cancer patients and their loved ones to know about this approach or maybe briefly describe to us what immuno-oncology is before answering? Yeah, it's, um, to put it in the words of Jed Walchuk, who's, who's chapter two in the book, um, we don't treat the tumor, we treat the patient's immune system, and the immune system then treats the tumor. What that means is a more detailed fashion is that Like the flu or a cold or various other infections, your body actually knows that it's there and can fight it. 
But in the case of cancer, the cancer cells have evolved a mechanism that stops your immune system from fighting it. The immune system can see it. It can know it's there, but it can't attack it because the cancer told it to leave it alone. Um, what the first suite of drugs I discuss called checkpoint inhibitors do is they tell your immune system to ignore that signal that's coming from the tumor and go ahead and attack. Um, that initial discovery, uh, a drug called, uh, well, the, it's CTLA-4 is the target. The drug is called Yervoy. Uh, that changed the field entirely. Uh, this was in 2010, 2011. The drug was approved. And it was approved in metastatic melanoma, a, a disease that has a survival, uh, median survival of about nine months. And they were seeing patients that not only were surviving far longer than that, but some patients that are now effectively considered to be cured. Uh, I know there's at least one patient that's uh, 15 years out from uh, a disease diagnosis that should have killed them within months. Uh, there are now other treatments, other types of immunotherapy, but the basic underlying mechanism of all of it is it's leveraging the power of the immune system. These are not poisons. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back with Neil Canavan, author of the book, A Cure Within, Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer. Welcome back to the Oncozine Brief. I'm Sonia Portillo here at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Society of Clinical Oncology. We're speaking to Neil Canavan, author of A Cure Within, A Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer. You mentioned uh, checkpoint inhibitors and some specific treatments of immunotherapy, and you've reported on this for many years. So what, what else besides that excites and impresses you when looking at the available immuno-oncology treatments that are currently available? Well, the one that is most intriguing to me, uh, they're referred to as CAR T-cells. And what that stands for is chimeric antigen receptor T-cells. This is some really exotic stuff. Um, what they do is, is uh, they take the T-cells out of your immune system. The T-cells are basically the assassins of your immune system. They take them out of you, the cancer patient. They look at your tumor and see what kind of target you have on your tumor. They then genetically engineer your T-cells in a dish to recognize that target. They then grow up those cells to several billion, and they shoot them back into you. That's the drug. The drug will only work on you. They are your, your cells. It won't work on any other patient. And then they're tailored precisely to you. And if they work, uh, they again, people are talking about being cured. And this drug, uh, that suite of drugs, is designed for what are called blood cancers, uh, lymphoma, and leukemia. What is even more interesting to me is that, unlike a checkpoint inhibitor, which is a fixed thing, um, CAR T-cells are more like software in that it's like, you know, Adobe, where you can, you can update it and you can add things. You can put Excels on, spreadsheets on it. You can put all kinds of things on it so that not only is the drug eminently adaptable, it's also alive. This is a living drug. Uh, it circulates in your system. It is you. It, they are your cells. And, and really the sky's the limit. The creativity that's gone into creating these drugs and developing these drugs is extraordinary. A sidestep from that question, how important is the development of novel diagnostic approaches in cancer therapy? 
Yeah. Um, I'll refer to the, the checkpoint inhibitors again. Um, there's two reasons why the diagnostics are important. One is, is a straight-up business reason. These drugs are very expensive. Uh, and if you don't have the target, uh, insurance companies would like to not pay for you to take them. And, you know, patients shouldn't take things that aren't going to work. Um, with this target, let's, re- let's stay with a, a checkpoint inhibitor called uh, anti-PD-1. PD-1 is a target, and it is on tumor cells. And if you test positive for that, it depends how positive you are as to how well the drug might work. If you're 50% or 25% or 1%, if you're no percent, it probably won't work. But we're still, there's a lot of gray area there because there is now data that shows in some cancer types, if you have, if the target's not detectable, the drug still works, at least a little bit. Um, there, I don't, couldn't tell you how many presentations there are at this ASCO meeting looking at how can we determine who to treat and, and what drug to treat. Uh, it's extraordinarily complex. Um, but there are any number of tests going on right now. Uh, actually, there was a genetic test that, that came out today, which is sidestep from immunotherapy called Taylor, uh, Taylor DX. And this is a genetic test. It's in breast cancer. And it will tell you very specifically whether or not you need more chemotherapy. Uh, oh. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it will save women suffering from having to take chemotherapy that they don't need. And it will save a lot of money. Uh, but all, the, all these, yeah, all these tests are coming. So, Neil, in your book called The Cure Within, Scientists Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer, you write about the tenacious few scientists who refuse to abandon novel scientific concepts. The book's based entirely on interviews with medical researchers, and it tells the story of pioneers of immuno-oncology. So, first off, what inspired you to write this book? Um, well, it's, it's sort of a funny story. Um... I'm, as you pointed out, I'm a veteran journalist, um, but someone hired me a few years ago. I now work for a company. And the reason the person hired me is because of my journalism experience, he thought that I had uh, an insight with what are called key opinion leaders, who are the most important doctors at the meeting usually. They're most knowledgeable or respected. Uh, And could I hire them to speak to the, our in, their investors about something called this cancer immunotherapy? And I was like, well, sure, I jumped at the chance. Why not? But at the time, I really didn't know that much about cancer immunotherapy. So I immediately ran off to a meeting, and I listened to a man named Zelig Eshar. And Zelig Eshar is the father of the CAR T-cells that I was just describing. And he's a, an older man. He's Israeli. And I went up to, after his, uh, his talk, and I said, you know, that was fascinating but I, if I can get your contact information because I, you know, for follow-up questions. And Zelig says, oh, no, no, it's not complicated, and I will show you. And he grabs my notebook, and, and he starts drawing something. I don't know what he's doing, and it's with tremendous flourish, and then he hands it back to me, and he goes, uh, you should frame this. I am famous. And I looked at it, and it's a picture of a mouse. And really, he's like, all his work was done in mice. This is all you need to know. And so I took him at his word, and I framed it, and I put it on my desk. And then I started bringing in uh, experts in immunotherapy to speak to our investors, and one of them was Drew Pardall, who's the head of immunotherapy at Johns Hopkins. And he sees the thing on my desk. He goes, that guy's really famous. I said, well, do you want to do one? He goes, well, yeah. 
and, and Drew did a little cartoon for me, and I, and I framed it. And then another speaker came in, a man named Tony Rebus, who's at UCLA, and he goes, those guys are really famous. I'm like, uh, you want to do it? Yeah, yeah, I want to do it. And this kept going on for a couple of years until I had over 40 of these things. And they're all arrayed around my desk because I'm a nerd and I like these cartoons. And then my boss comes walking by one day and he practically whispered in my ear because you realize these are illustrations for a book, right? And I ignored him because I didn't want to write a book. And then he did it two more times and I realized, okay, not only is he right, he really wants me to do this. And then, well, two and a half years later, there we are. Maybe not the most typical way to be inspired to write a book, but I'm sure you were further inspired and learned a lot along the way. Which brings me to my next question. Tell us a bit about the people you interviewed for the book and what stands out. Well, uh, there's, a, there's so many things. I mean, one thing that really hit me one night was I wasn't so much writing about, well, that I was writing about a family. These people are fiercely loyal to each other. And there's not that many of them. I mean, the core people that, that executed this technology is probably 100 worldwide. They all know each other. Some of them are married to each other. Uh, they, they're extremely tight. I was talking to Marcella Maas, who's head of immunotherapy at, at Mass General, and she has children. She goes, yeah, you know, I have kids, and, but I'm, I'm as close to these people as I am to my own family. So it was extremely striking. Uh, Another aspect that stands out is these people are extremely creative. Uh, there are painters. There are people who are in a band called the Checkpoints, and they're really good. <laughs> I mean, Jim Allison, Chapter One, played with Willie Nelson. He plays the harmonica. Uh, there's, there's so, uh, many of them refer to, oh yeah, I, I'm, I wanted to be a painter, I wanted to be a writer, and and it's, it hit me, yeah, the creativity of this science. I mean, it's drawing from all different disciplines to produce these remarkable drugs. Um, I mean, just overall, I was struck by just how fascinating and neat and funny these people are. I mean, I, only one of them I can think of who I won't name was a difficult person. The rest of them are really, really sweet and extremely passionate about what they do. We're going to take a break now. We'll get right back into our discussion with Neil Canavan, author of A Cure Within, Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer, here at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Society of Clinical Oncology. Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps, Others' huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care. By allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together we can stand up for all of us. 
Welcome back to the Oncazine Brief. We're here at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Society of Clinical Oncology. We're speaking to Neil Canavan, author of A Cure Within, A Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer. For anyone interested, the book's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through our website, oncazine.com. The book is published by Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory Press. Now, in your book, James Allison made an interesting statement. He said, I propose treating cancer by ignoring it. And what did he mean by that? Yeah, this was a um, sort of a radical thing to say in that the checkpoints, in a sense, well, it does matter what type of cancer you have, but also in a sense it doesn't because the drug doesn't target the tumor at all. It doesn't hit the tumor. It hits the tumor's the T cells and the various regulatory environments in the, uh, what's called the microenvironment of the tumor. So, yeah, he doesn't really care what targets are present on your tumor because the drug is addressing the immune system. And it's the immune system's problem to figure out what's wrong with the tumor and attack it. Jim doesn't have to direct that attack, it just happens. You'll allow the attack to happen, and it happens. Um, so, yeah. It, it doesn't matter what the tumor, what the your immune cells are attacking, as as long as they have the fuel to do so. In doing the research and in doing the writing as well, what are some of the key takeaways that you learned from your experience in interviewing so many scientists and so many experienced researchers? <laughs> um, well, I guess one thing that you probably know because you interview people is that um, people love to talk about themselves and. You know, even, well, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, Laurence Vogel, who is Chapter 25, I had arranged for several months to, uh, she was going to be in New York, she lives in Paris, going to be in New York at a meeting, and, and I scheduled the interview, and it's like 5 o'clock, and I sit in there at 5 o'clock, she shows up, and she goes, okay, okay, I have uh, 15 minutes, I have to change for dinner, and you know, what do you want to know? And these interviews take well over an hour. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't fly to Paris to talk to her. I'll just, I'll do what I can. And I sit her down and say, okay. And I turn on the microphone. I go, okay, tell me about where you grew up. And that really threw her because she thought we were just talking about her data. And she says, well, you know, I grew up in this area and it was very poor and, and there were communists there and, and my best friend and his, her brother got shot. And, I, and I'm like, wow. And I'm listening to this. And an hour and a half later, she went to dinner. So once these people open up about their lives, they'll tell you some remarkable things. I mean, the other thing that stands out is that for many years, no one talked to them at all because they all thought, well, the world, scientific world thought that their ideas were crap. Uh, so no, journalists were not talking to them. They were not being interviewed for anything. And now that they are, they're, they're so open, they're so giving, they will tell you their entire lives. Um, it's, it's neat. That's neat. One of the developments you write about is vaccines. Before we talk about this, I know there's a big difference in vaccines preventing dis- disease and those to treat cancer. But what are those key differences? And from your perspective, what should patients know about this? Yeah, I mean, obviously your your flu vaccine is to prevent you from getting the flu. Uh, these active treatment vaccines are... Uh, on the basic on the basic science level, they work the same, but the objective is obviously different because you already have the cancer. It's not preventing the cancer. And the way they do this is actually quite similar to your flu shot, except with the cancer example, they have to look at the tumor very carefully to figure out 
if what kind of flu you have, if you will. And then they can design the vaccine around it. Um, the reason they have to do that is, in many cases, your immune system can't clearly see the tumor. I mean, they know it's there and it could be because you can biopsy the tumor. And there'll be all sorts of T cells there, but they're not really doing anything. And they, they need some guidance. And the guidance is the vaccine. So you, you look at the, the patient's tumor and you choose what are the most immune, what's called immunogenic targets, that which will wake up your immune system the most. You formulate that into a shot, and then and, and it's just a regular shot like a regular vaccine. Um, and this, in many cases, will wake up your immune system. This, unfortunately, this technology is still in its learning stages. Uh, they've been doing cancer vaccines for many years, and they've been ineffective for many years. They are now starting to see responses because the underlying science of how the vaccines work is being revealed, how dendritic cells pick up the antigens, how they're expressed, how they go into the, your TCRs, and so on. Um, I mean, that's, that's part and parcel with the entire field, is that immunology is extraordinarily complex. And we know, I don't know, 25% of how it actually works. Um, vaccines work great on paper, and, have to, and most of the time in people, they don't. But they're working very, very hard on that. There is now something called a neoantigen vaccines, which is it's very exotic technology. It's, it's genetic engineering. It's genetic sequencing. Uh, Steve Rosenberg at the NIH is like the king of that sort of thing. Um, and again, these vaccines that are being developed uh, are so exquisite that, uh, again, they will only work on you, especially the neo, uh, the neo, uh, um, the neo-epitote vaccines. Um, th- there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. But they are seeing progress. Liz Jaffe in the book, she has patients, pancreatic cancer patients who should have been dead years ago. Um, they're still chugging along. And that's because of the vaccine work that she's been doing. Going back to immunotherapy, um, what are some of the biggest challenges now that researchers face in their work? Um, well, there's sort of a luxury problem in that with the checkpoint inhibitors, the what everyone wants to do is combine it with something else. So the checkpoint inhibitors work uh, maximally in about 30% of cases which is, you know, you'd like to, for it to work for everybody. And the only way they know to expand that right now is start to combine it with some more traditional agents, and some of that will be combinations with the poisons of the past, the various chemotherapies. Uh, the problem with that is there's a lot of chemotherapies out there, there are a lot of targeted therapies out there, and it's result, and there's a lot of money driving this technology, and the result is there are hundreds. I think, I think the last count is over 1,200 clinical trials that have been proposed or are underway using a checkpoint inhibitor plus Agent X in just about any tumor type. And, and this has become a problem. Uh, the rush to combine them with things is producing some spectacular failures, one of which was, which was reported today for a... a, a, a an immunotherapy drug called well, it's, it's called epicatastat 
And it was combined with a checkpoint inhibitor, and it was a disaster. It, did, it produced nothing other than more side effects. And this was a very expensive trial. It involved a lot of people, and, and yeah, it was, it was a problem. And just logistically, there's no way... I, I, I saw a slide, I remember did a slide, I think you'd need over 120,000 patients to do even you know, half of these trials that have been proposed. And it's just not possible. So you have to drill down into the science and really, really understand why are you doing this. You can't just, as someone put it in a, a session today, you can't just throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. Uh, it's, it's too expensive and, and really to the patient it's cruel. Um, so the science, some of the science is just not there. And the example this morning with this epicatastat, they don't understand the science of, of that target enough. They, and they're going to have to go back to the lab. We're going to take a break now. We'll get right back into our discussion with Neil Canavan, author of A Cure Within, Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer, here at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Society of Clinical Oncology. Clinical trials allow researchers to introduce new hope by providing participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more. Together, we can stand up for all of us. Welcome back to the Oncozine Brief. We're here at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Society of Clinical Oncology. We're speaking to Neil Canavan, author of A Cure Within, a Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer. So we are here at ASCO 2018. What are some of the most exciting and interesting abstracts and presentations that you've seen or are looking forward to? Actually, well, the one that's the big hit at the meeting this year, and it also was last year, um, is not an immunotherapy drug, but it is a, uh, back to your point of the precision medicine. And it's a, uh, I forget the drug name. The company's called Loxo. And what the drug does is it hits a target. It, let me start again. It's, it's what's called a tumor agnostic drug in that it doesn't matter if, if you have stomach cancer or any kind of cancer. If you have the target, it'll work. That's new. Uh, prior to this, they looked at, okay, you have breast cancer. What is the nature of breast cancer? You have brain cancer. What's the nature of that? This doesn't matter. If you have the target, the drug will work. Um, it was just approved, and this has never been done before. Uh, there's another drug. It's not been reported at this meeting, but actually one of the uh, patients is at the meeting. She's actually quite famous. Her name is Stephanie Joho. Uh, she was dying. She was about to go into hospice. She was 24 years old, and she had colon cancer. Um, Someone, I think her sister, read about something called the PD-1 inhibitor, a checkpoint inhibitor, in a drug trial that was being run at Johns Hopkins. And she got her sister there to uh, Baltimore. And there was a molecular test done, and it's referred to as MSI-HIGH. doesn't matter what it stands for. But, but uh, Stephanie was tested positive for MSI-HIGH, and it's a mutation. They gave her the drug. She's now four years out. She's perfectly healthy. She's cured. Uh, well, all right, I will say that. She's in complete remission. Um, and again, this is a tumor agnostic approach. Uh, if you're MSI high, it doesn't matter if it's in your colon or your lung or wherever it is, the drug will work. Um, 
and again, this is they've only this year has such agents been approved in this way, and there will be more of this because it's it's a precedent setting thing, and now people are looking across the board of are there other tumor agnostic ways we can attack this? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the more exciting things I've seen at this meeting. The other thing is the extraordinary variety of immunotherapy targets that have been. Reported. I was in a, a session yesterday on developmental therapeutics. There was, I don't know, 10 presentations. And I go to these meetings all the time. And four of them I had never heard of. And the data looks good. The data looks good. There was a drug reported by a company called Nectar, which is amazing results. And this used a drug called IL-2, which is a natural occurring thing in your body, except they've managed to figure out how to make it even better. And it wakes up your immune system. Before we close, one of the reasons for writing this book is very personal. Can you share that with us? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I have a, a rather large... Uh, well, uh, people in my family don't die of heart attacks. So they get cancer. Uh, my father died when I was 11 uh, from lung cancer. And he had had Hodgkin's disease before that, which... He was on. There's a drug called Velban. Hodgkin's disease used to be invariable, invariably fatal. And in 1963 or four, when my father got Hodgkin's, he wound up in a clinical trial at Memorial Sloan Kettering for this drug, Velban. He was on the registration trial. He was a data point for the for the approval of this drug, and he was cured of that. Uh, unfortunately, he was not cured of smoking, which killed him uh, several years later uh, with non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, my mother died of, of pancreatic cancer 12 days after she was diagnosed. Um, my Both my brothers, uh, I only had the two brothers, uh, both had diffuse large B-cell lymphoma at roughly the same age. Um, one responded to chemotherapy, the other did not, and he had two stem cell transplants. Uh, this is at MD Anderson, which I know much better than I ever wanted to know. Um, Cancer, this is a perverse statement. Cancer is my life. Um, it's a you know a profound effect on my youth, and then perversely, I I went into business, and that's now how I pay my rent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I was eight years old, and I knew every doctor and every nurse on the fourth floor of Batan Memorial Hospital, and where my father was. And I would get on the elevator. And I wasn't supposed to be on the floor. And all the doctors and nurses would look up at the ceiling like they couldn't see me. Because they knew my dad was dying. So, yeah. Um, I know too much about this stuff. I really do. Um, but it is extremely gratifying. Uh, the book has it's helped me a lot. Um, actually, my older brother is being treated right now for at, at Actually, as we speak at MD Anderson, he now has lung cancer. He's now 60. Uh, I just got talking through talking with Drew Pardall, who's one of the top people in the world in this field, and Drew offered uh, to call my brother. Um, Jim Allison uh, met with my brother, and they, they sat in a bar for two hours and talked. Um, Patrick Hugh, also at, at MD Anderson, personally took my brother's case when we when we showed up um the book has opened a lot of doors um so you know eve regardless of what happens i can say he's 
he's I'm leveraging the best in the world. You know, I've I've been I've been given that <clears throat> that grace to be able to do that, and the the book did that. Thank you for speaking with us, Neil. Thank you. This edition of the Oncozine Brief was originally recorded on April 3rd, 2018, during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, held June 1st through 5th in Chicago, Illinois. The book, A Cure Within, Scientist Unleashing the Immune System to Kill Cancer, published by Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory Press, is available directly from the publisher via Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and via our website, Oncozine.com. For us here at the Oncozine Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach with distribution via iHeartRadio, in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. You can also download our program via iTunes. In Arizona, you can listen to the Oncozine Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. For more information about that, check our online journal Oncozine at oncozine.com. We know that based on this interview and the information about uh, the latest treatments uh, presented here at the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the annual meeting, um, you may have questions. So please submit your questions uh, to our editorial team via email, Facebook, or Twitter. And we will post as many answers as we can on our website, oncozine.com. That is O-N-C-O-Z-I-N-E.com. Now, if you're, listening in the, if you're living and listening in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER, C-A-N-C-E-R, to 66866. And we will make sure that you will receive our newsletter, with, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all. And thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland here with Sonia Portillo. And this is the Oncosin Brief. The Oncosin Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by Inpress Media Group. Support for the Oncosine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncosine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncosine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it. The Oncocene Brief is in part made possible by generous support from Kite Rocket. Kite Rocket, making brands more valuable. For more information about public relation beyond classic PR support, contact Martin Pirick at Kite Rocket in Phoenix at 602-443-0030 or visit their website at kiterocket.com.